I'm for East Coast and reports from coastal stations. East Utsira, West Utsira, South West Utsira and North North East Utsira. Wind South West, rain at times, good. Forties, fifties, sixties, Tyne, Dogger, German Bite, French Kiss and Swiss Roll. Westerly becoming cyclonic, good. Right here in London's East End. Operating at any level, any time, anywhere, and with anybody. Who are they? One might be your secretary, your doctor's receptionist, or a dancer in a go-go club. They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. Now, now, now. Hello and welcome to Eastcast here on Resonance 104.4 FM. Here, uh, we are here once again to look at the arts, the culture and the people of East London. But it's stuff that will resonate way beyond that postcode. So wherever you're listening, good to have you with us. I'm Nia Charpentier and I'm here with Pearl Wise, plus lots of guests in the studio. It's jam-packed tonight. So we've got artist Stephen Wilson in with us um, a bit later on, ahead of his show opening soon at the Book Club in Shoreditch. Uh, we also have Ligaya Salazar, who's the creative director of the East London Comic Arts Festival here a bit later on too. And hello from me. You'll also be hearing two experiences of arriving in London from Calcutta and Saudi Arabia. And we've been given the keys to an almost secret garden in Bethnal Green. But first up, we have Big House Theatre Company in the studio. (laughs) They've been sounding great rehearsing for for a piece of music they'll be doing later on. Um, So Big House uh, is a company that works with young care leavers um, and they put on professional theatre productions using their real stories. So firstly, we'll be having a chat with everyone, but first we'll be chatting to Louise Welby, who is the musical director of this latest latest production. Welcome everybody. So um, there's been a few productions, uh, big house productions. I've been to three of them I think. So what's, so this latest one is called Knife Edge. What's it all about? Ah, Knife Edge, what's it all about? Okay. Well, it's basically set in a Hawaiian restaurant in Dalston and it begins with a murder and ends with a feast. Um, I don't want to give too much more away, but it's about food and it's about family. And the play is an immersive promenade production, uh, which moves around that restaurant. It's an ensemble piece. Um, so we've got some of the cast with us today. And will will people be eating as they yeah, so there's Yeah, exactly. There's a feast at the end of the play. So the idea is that you come along, you experience it, and you don't just then drop out into the night. You stay and you eat and you talk with the cast and the crew. So... That, I mean, that's quite a specialised thing for big houses, this kind of immersive theatre. Why, why is that so important, do you think, to, to, for the audience to be in a specific location and be able to take part? Well, yeah, I think that the dynamism and energy of the big house and the cast and the kind of writing really works well with an immersive setting and... I think that there's something about coming and, and sitting static in one place that just for some reason doesn't work um, with this kind of writing. Um, and I think also it's about creating a world and an atmosphere that people can really feel like they're, they're in there, they're part of the scene. And I certainly found going to see the first couple of shows, I felt very 
moved and I didn't for one second remember like who I was or, or where I was and I think I think that's quite special. Hmm. So um you guys do you want to just quickly introduce yourself? Yeah sure. <laughs> Hi I'm uh, Diamond Allen. Um, Hi I'm Teslin Senior Sakuti. My name is Moses Gomez Santos. And I'm Kwame Jim Jim. So without giving too much away obviously what do you want to tell us a little bit about your character? Um, yeah, so I'm Diamond Allen and I play um, the father in the play. And, um, yeah, there's a few hidden secrets to the dad. <laughs> you were saying you played the the bad guy in one of the other productions in The Realness. Are you, are you a bad guy this time? <laughs> <laughs> um... Am I a bad guy, guys? I'm Teslim. I play the main character, mm-hmm. which is the girl. And I think My daughter. The way <laughs> I think the way the dad and the daughter have a relationship is so up and down. I can't unroll too much because mm. oh, it's just gonna be amazing. <laughs> you can't really you can't really kind of say bad or good about anyone, everyone has. Yeah, it depends on the yeah, I think that's what's so good about big house performances. It's your own opinion mm. to take upon it. It's it's really wonderful working there with such encouraging people as well. Um I'm Moses. Um I play a character called Khaled. He's a young Somalian guy, actually that is the age of 21 and he's more enclosed he's more of a shy one he's the one that's more of it like more jumpy and he's a bit scared to speak at some points so it's it's hard playing that role because I'm a very outspoken person <laughs> so holding my tongue is kind of hard but it's also a challenging role to take upon myself so don't want to give too much away about Khalid <laughs> so yeah that's that's me yep. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm Kwame. I'm doing some of the music. <laughs> the play is definitely, it's definitely, it's got all the mixed emotions, and that's one thing that Big House Production does. And like to follow on from the question Pearl asked, the thing with the promenades and the immersive theatre is, we create a different type of theatre at Big House, and it's definitely interactive. And the closer you get to the production as a um, as a member of the audience, is the closer you're going to feel to what we're doing. And that's what we're doing. All the stories come from creating, mm. from the real stories of people. So it's only fair that the audience get to be in it with us. Actually, I was going to ask that. So um, are you involved in the writing process of, of the plays as well? So basically, we have they have professional writers that come in, but a, bit, a lot of the plays have a lot of the young people's stories within it and many stories within some of the plays so they are definitely part of the writing process from the beginning yeah the um the writer who's writing for our current play his name is david watson he's such an amazing writer the play that we have is so it's it's a blessing to have to be honest yeah Yeah. in other words we do i won't say we help writing but a lot of Let's say things that are in the show is does, does yeah, yeah it does influence our, it's come from our ourselves mm-hmm. but he's obviously he's put his own twist to it and he's obviously brought it to life so I would say we are heavily involved in the writing but David has done his magic on it yeah, and, <laughs> and then we've got to do away from David yeah hundred percent hundred percent and Louise um so this is the first play that you've been involved with or um, have you you've done stuff before so I've been involved in some vein from the beginning 
um, because the big house used to be based at Hackney Down Studios, where I worked. Um, and I was also, I helped with the music on the last play as well, which was at the Rio. It was called Electric. Um, but yeah, this is the first time I've been kind of as involved as I have been, which has been really great to really be there from the start of the process um, and get to know the cast and like watch watch the watch it grow basically yeah i'm really excited so with the music do you write that together as well is that kind of part of the whole thing just kind of jamming and getting things together and making yeah. up things as you go yeah along? absolutely yeah 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 amazing. Um, no i've wanted it to feel as natural as possible for everyone and to kind of use everyone's skills within the play so it's not a musical but there are musical elements and transitions throughout so um yeah, we've kind of just worked together collaboratively and worked out bits and bobs here and there to take the audi- to kind of help bring it to life and take the audience through the story. Should we hear something? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll give you a tiny, Hi, can... tiny yeah, taster, no. but for the rest of it, you have to come down. All right. Cool. Let's go. <clears throat> Dutch pot, Dutch pot, steam fish and crackers in the Dutch pot, oxtail and rice in the mix. Steam fish and crackers in the Dutch pot, oxtail and rice in the mix. Steam chicken in the Dutch pot, dumpling in the mix. Curry goat in the Dutch pot, plantain in the mix. Giant chicken in the Dutch pot, galloo in the mix. In the Dutch pot, pizza. In a Dutch pot? <laughs> All right. Tiny taste for you. Taste is the right word. Taste is the right word, So, when can we see it? Um, it's from the 18th of May to mm. the 12th of June. June. Yeah. yeah. And that's Tuesday. at the pond in Dawson. Tuesday to Sunday. Yep. Mm-hmm. 7.30 till 9.30 <laughs> <laughs> it's called Knife Edge remember yeah hashtag Knife Edge thebighouse.com book your tickets now I think, and also yeah. book your tickets early because you're going to want to come and see it again mm. definitely mm. and for anyone who doesn't know the pond is actually a, it's a Hawaiian restaurant so yeah, it is yeah, quite yeah. an unusual setting for a play yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no it's cool it's, it's really cool to have them on, on board so it's like the play itself is infused with flavours and then we also have your own feast at the end. There's some ukulele plucking in the black background. Are we going to hear a, a little something else? Another yeah, little let's hear a little bit from the play, a little bit from the script. Yeah, so this is a scene um, with the daughter and the dad. It's a little segment or a little taster. <laughs> dad? Listen to my next proposal now. Dad, when I move out of my hostel, yeah... I wanna, I wanna. The game of Monopoly, a homely favourite for all age groups. But what if you take that concept, digitise it, hook it up to the worldwide markets in real time? Suddenly, your little family parlour game is the next training ground for property developers or stockbrokers in a waiting. Dad. And suddenly, your daddy a rich man again. That's some innovation concept right there, you know. Man, I pattern that quick fast. Dad, are you hearing me, though? What's the here, babes? What's this sudden urgency running through your veins when your daddy's standing by your side and he's got your whole future locked? 
For the second one today, chatting future to me, you know. Uh, who's the first? You don't want to know. You don't know I don't, because whoever's the first, whatever future they're chatting, ain't got a patch on you. You and me's. <laughs> it's like you, yeah. <laughs> what? You're mad? Cha. Monopoly, yeah? The re- 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 remix, amongst other concerns and projects I'm about to make happen. But in the meantime... Let's see what's on the menu tonight. Nice. Fantastic to have, yeah, live. And if you want to see more, you have to come down and see it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> A little taster there. Thank you so much for coming in, all of you. Oh, you. we've been handy the leaf. Thank you for having Fantastic. us. And um, Louise, you're going to stick around, aren't you? Because you wear a few hats as a do, musician yeah, yeah, yeah. and as the organiser of um, pop-up London gigs under the name of Jam Sandwich. So more of that later. Um, but for now, yeah, big big round of applause for Big House. Thank you so Um, So we're going to move on to something else very quickly. Um, And I just want to say with that acting, there was lots of physical acting going on in the studio as well. So you've definitely got to come and see this with your eyes. You've heard a little bit. You've tasted a bit with your ears. And uh, now come and see it with your eyes. So um, now regular listeners will know that I've been collecting stories from all sorts of people um, about their arrival to London stories. Um, for a project I've been doing called Something to Declare. There's going to be a very exciting live event linked to the project in June, uh, which I'll tell you about a a bit later on. But here's Shitra Banerjee, a dancer from Kolkata, who I met at a community centre in Hackney. I'm Mrs Chitra Banerjee. I live in uh, North London and work in the Hackney Council and the Age UK. Uh, I came here 1968, a long time, more than 40 years. I came from India, Calcutta, that part of India. I came from when I came. Very next day I got the job here because I used to work in the Reserve Bank of India. Reserve Bank is bank of bankers like a bank of England here. Calcutta, India is Reserve Bank. So I didn't face any difficulties to get a job. Since then, I have been here. Though I time to time visit India, I'm a dancer and actress as well. So I do my performance here and in India as well. You know, I do performance. Everybody knows Chitra Banerjee is that uh, Eastern dance and actress as well, you know. My husband came here for that um, father study here. Uh, And when he came, and uh, I used to work in the Reserve Bank of India. He came here. After three years, when he finished his course, he decided to stay here. So we don't like to stay, you know, apart like that. He will be here, I will be there like that. So I came here, resigned my job, and, you know, both of us lived together here since then. I was, you know, burst into tears to leave behind all my family, my mom, my sisters, brother, and everybody there. Only my husband, this side, other whole family in the other side. That is really painful, and it takes long time to gradually get used to it. So it is so good, very next day I got my job, I can engage myself like that. 
and the same side my cultural activities as well so i established myself i mean you know actress i do programming bbc as well so that is the way you know make me happy here in this country first time when i arrived the whole family came to the airport and soon after i came here very sad story i lost my father that is so painful when i am here and i couldn't see my father there i lost him and another sad story 19 last year said 29th september today is my mom's one year uh, death anniversary so today is another day is painful day i lost my mom last year but i have seen with my mom long time not by my dad you know that's the thing painful thing that time there i lost my dad soon after in arrival here i couldn't go back i couldn't see him i didn't attend the funeral and that time because i haven't got enough money to travel india is a quite a lot of money to travel there it is not from here here to you know like manchester or here like that it is not like that you know that that is the sad thing happened in my life you know my husband knows that that i can't stay inside the house because i used to work there then i told him that i want that my job then he said go to that uh, you know um, uh, that job center or something like that here and they sent me that interview and i went that is the whole one that is i went to interview and they said do you have to start now i said mm, what can i do you know because um, then i said yes and my husband didn't know i go for an interview my husband think that new country she might lost you know because i don't know very much london very next day i got a job and then he wait there in hoban underground at the afternoon when i said what can i do they told me do you like to start i said thank you you got that thing isn't it <laughs> because i used to work in the reserve bank there so i didn't face any difficulties for the interview and all those things you know though it is a new country but i used to work with that thing for that reason you know straight away i got the job <laughs> i'm so used to i'm a famous artist over there you know soon i came here lot of artistical place and those things i try to go there for that meeting and those thing i put my name down there chitra is a dancer and actress there and this is the way word of mouth is gone like that chitra banerjee when they have got their performance they call me like that and soon i on the stage i'm a different person <laughs> and more from um, something to declare a little bit later on. In the studio here with us now is artist Stephen Wilson, um, who's come to speak to us ahead of his debut solo exhibition called Article, all about items people love or even obsess about. So, um, Stephen, welcome to the show. Hi, nice to be here. Um, tell us more about the, the show that's coming up. Um, so the show really is just um, me um, drawing a series of ob- objects that either I've got an affinity with or objects that I think other people have got an affinity with. Um, some of them are things that I've got a sense of nostalgia about. So there's like, you know, things as a kid that I sort of craved or played with, uh, like there's a Swiss Army knife, for example. And then there's other things that are sort of more things that people um, obsess about, like there's a Leica camera, um, 
there's a certain type of bike that I've illustrated, um, but they've all been done in a, a personal um, style to me, really. They're my own take on those objects. And and tell us about that that style, that kind of. Uh... Um, well, I was trying to sort of minimise. Um, there's there's very little colour, so most of them are, are simplified down to one colour, and the shapes on the objects are created through pattern, really, um, sort of going round. And because um, all of the illustrations, the thing that holds them all together is that they're all isometric. Um, I've got a kind of a bit of an obsession with that mechanical. Um, drawing style, um, which I think has come about um, from my studies, really. Um, when I was at university, um, the tutor there in the Masters, who um, never taught me, but I kind of loved his work. He was called George Hardy, and he did a lot of work in the 60s and 70s for a design group called Hypnosis. Um, but one of the things that he did as part of his work was to um, go away and study mechanical drawing, which was quite an unusual thing to do. Um, with the sort of trends that were going on in illustration at the time. Um, so I started studying his work and, and that mechanical drawing is something that I've kept coming back to myself. I mean, I've not obviously studied it, but it's something that I've used because I've got um, the computer now to, as a tool to use. And so that all of the illustrations are done isometric, really, as, off the back of that. And um, what... Uh, so apart from um, the Swiss Army knife, what, what sort of items... Um, Were you kind so of, there's the camera, um, there's the bike. Um, I've done um, I've done a set of uh, DJ decks. Um, there's a, a, a typewriter. There's a typewriter. Yeah. So so in Brighton, there's a lot of um, flea markets, and so my house is filled with a lot of sort of collected. Um, objects and paraphernalia that I've bought over the years. So the typewriter is based on an old uh, Royal Enfield typewriter. I kind of like that, you know, I've got like a Singer sewing machine in my house and that kind of stuff, just nice crafted sort of machinery that you don't tend to get anymore. So a lot of the objects are based on those kinds of objects. Go on. Oh, I was going to say, there is something about these kind of analogue objects that um, people keep, going back to now just i think we really seem to miss that machinery yeah. the cogs the buttons mm -hmm. the things things that move and yeah. um so i i imagine art or graphic design featuring those objects is as popular because people really kind of have an affinity to it and there is a nostalgia well i hope so yeah i mean the thing is then uh, as an actual object to use a lot of them are sort of rendered useless now so I suppose in some ways to have it on your wall is as good a place to have it as anywhere really so um, hopefully that's the case anyway and so your work as an illustrator is, is quite varied I mean you've, you've um, done work for clients like Nike and Sony you've worked on record sleeves artwork for magazines so how different is is working on your own show to uh, I was completely different. Yeah. I mean, part of the reason that I chose just to draw objects, I mean, it, it, it's because of that, really. Like, most of my work is for commercial clients where I'm sort of quite often you're sort of compromised, I suppose, by their needs um, and the feedback that you get. So when it came um, to doing my own show, I didn't really want to set myself a very specific brief where I'd restrict myself too much. I just wanted to draw objects that, you know... You know, I wasn't trying to sort of solve problems or I wasn't 
having to fit everything towards something very specific. I was just doing something that's very fun. Whereas, mm. obviously, when I do my normal commercial work, I've got you know it ranges from fashion book jackets cd covers and you're always trying to compromise to what the other person's expectations are so mm. when you do an exhibition it's it's the opposite of that it's just your own enjoyment really so um so your exhibition runs from 26th of may 26th of may to late august i think it yeah. is and um, all those details um, of where it is are at the book club uh, website, which is wertbc.com. Um, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks very much. Thanks, Steve. Cheers. You are listening to East Coast Show on Resonance 104.4 FM. Don't forget you can get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook at East Coast Show and you can listen again to our interviews and music online on iTunes and at eastcastshow.com or sign up to our monthly newsletter um, so you'll get all our audio news straight into your inbox. Which is definitely worth doing. Um, thanks, Nia. So earlier in the show, I mentioned that I've been working on a project called Something to Declare. And so far, I've been pedalling around East London on my bike, collecting stories. But on the 25th of June, uh, 24th and 25th of June, I'll be setting up um, an arrivals bureau um, at the British Museum on the 24th and at Rich Mix in Bethnal Green on the on Bethnal Green Road actually on the 25th of June um, where the public so that's you are invited to come and experience um, arrival and then you can record yours or your family's arrival story to London and all these stories are then will, will be then embedded into um, a map that's featured on the website something to declare .co.uk. So in the meantime, let's hear from Rose, which isn't actually her real name, who came to London from Saudi Arabia with her Eritrean parents. My name is Rose. My parents originally come from Eritrea, but I'm born in Saudi Arabia in Riyadh, the capital city. I have been in the UK for um, 12 years. I came here to join to my husband. After my wedding, after two months, uh, after I have the visa wife, I came here. But uh, my husband, he came before me. That's why I came by myself. That's why it was difficult for me. I couldn't forget that day because I was 19 years old. Uh, that was the first time I traveled without my parents. And the flight is, was quite long, six hours. I was uh, scared, nervous, uh, confused, everything, uh, because all the time I'm thinking about the language. I know some word like thank you, excuse me, that's word. But when I arrived here, I found long queue. I shocked, but I found some people who uh, speak the uh, same language like me, and they was very helpful. But the problem, when I arrived in the border, they asked me to do x-ray for my chest that information my husband he didn't tell me about it that gave me shock i thought it maybe took me to another hospital and go and get lost that's why i was confused then told me no it's just a general uh, test you should every people have uh, african passport they should do this examination for their chest after that i found my husband outside waiting for me but it was a difficult day <laughs> 
I cry because I thought uh, I get lost. Uh, I don't have any. Uh, that time, the people they didn't uh, use a phone like now. That's why I'm worried. But when I found them, uh, I found myself safe. Then uh, he called my family. I called them. Uh, it was nice. Then I feel relaxed. But it was very difficult, very cold. Uh, that time, 2003, no, I arrived here in November. It was colder than now. Yeah. My home, it was very nice. My husband, he settled down everything for me. TV, computer to connect with my family. Uh, it was a nice place. I like it. And especially I like London. I read about this city. That's why I was excited when I arrived to home. It was, uh, I feel relaxed. When I meet with another people from different areas, tell me, oh, Hackney is a little bit dangerous. I told them I have never seen anything. It's normal area. They have bad people, good people. It's like any place. Uh, but I like it. It's a very nice area. Be, uh, they have a lot of activity, facility, nice college, Hackney Community College, the massive college we have in this area. Everything. They have three children. One of them, the oldest one, 11, second one, eight, third one, five. They're British children, but uh, I try to keep my culture in house. I speak my language. I talk them every Saturday to Arabic school. Uh, they can write my language, write letter, paragraph, can speak, because I need them to contact with my, especially my mother and father. That's, that's My father, he speaks English, but for my mother, that's why. I have never seen Eritrea, uh, but I hear some story from my parents. But my really country is uh, Saudi Arabia, and I couldn't find myself there. Because here, uh, I, uh, I improve myself. I like uh, the mind for people who live here. They have open mind. They can accept any religion, any culture. They accept any human. Yeah, they, they work with people like um, with the, the mind. But for me, I like to live there. Because people here, you know, everyone comes from different place. They respect each other. They try to help each other with different accent, different language. And you should be communicate, help each other. Uh, that was something to declare. Uh, don't forget uh, 24th of June and 25th of June at the British Museum and Rich Mix in Bethnal Green, respectively. Something to declare will be uh, looking for your arrival stories, so um, keep an eye out for that. Now, next up, festival season is almost upon us, but have you heard of this one, the East London Comic Arts Festival? Um, and here to tell us all about it is Lagaya Salazar, the creative director. Lagaya, welcome to the show. Hello. So, um, LCAV, uh, the acronym, what is it all about? Well, um, it's, LCAV is now it's in, in its fifth year, and um, it was originally founded by um, an independent publisher called Nobrow, who really specialise in um, producing comics, but now also children's books that have a particular kind of uh, atmosphere. They're very bright. They're um, they're very um, uncomic-like, if you say, if you want to say so. So they were really keen on supporting a, a actually quite strong scene of 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 kind of artists who work in in a sequential and narrative way. So they founded the festival, and it was teeny tiny the mm -hmm. first time around. It was one day, and it was six hours, and it was packed. So um, they decided it would be great to, to continue doing it. So since then, I've been 
on board to help them kind of grow it and and find different ways and forms to 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 show um this um quite niche art but actually in terms of the 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 types of illustrators and artists we work with actually lots of them work in in very different fields uh, some are commercial some are some are more children's book based so you probably would have heard of some of them but because they're framed within a kind of comics mm. and arts way um you you might not think you you want to go but they are very um they're very interesting people and it's grown um you know as you alluded to you know now you're attracting about 3000 people every year and uh, you know what what is the this growing appeal do you think? I think um, it's, it's a bit of both. I think we we've grown it in in a sense that we you know we added more and more programming. I come from a curatorial background, so I brought brought in um, a kind of approach that would would add live events to it, like workshops and talks. And because originally it was really about having um, all these um, emerging illustrators and and small publishing houses sell their wares, so it was that's still the very much of the the core of what we do. But it's surrounded by the very big program this year. In fact, we have a month long program in in advance of the festival happening. So, I think I think it, it appeals to everyone because it is it, it, illustrationist has become much more um, prominent in our environment both through through kind of commercial world but also through what people like to put on their walls so mm. i think the it's the next step to to look at what um the book can do with with sequential illustration really and and what's your background in in this area um well i'm a i'm a curator by by training i should say mm. but rather just by profession uh, by training i'm not a curator but i i worked at the vna for many years um in the contemporary department i worked across all disciplines and i was always really interested in illustration so when i started working with nobrow um they had worked with them on a friday late program which mm. you probably are aware of and i brought them in to do a number of workshops and then after that that's how we started working together on the on the festival so it was really uh, at the beginning very much a uh, you know a passion project mm-hmm. um, and it still very much is so um and it's really important for us to support emerging illustrators and smaller um smaller publishers so that it can conti- continue making really beautiful publications and prints and it's really very much the core of our existence yeah i've got a question um <laughs> hello Hi. um so I've noticed that there's been a, a kind of quite a lot of new comic art online. So you can, it's this kind of online reading of comics where, mm-hmm. where you scroll through rather than mm-hmm. reading on a book. Um, do you think, is that something that you include in this festival? Is it all paper? Is it? No, it's actually not. Uh, we are actually in fact looking at a quite... And we're not only looking at comics either. So we we look at sequential illustration through children's books and comics and through um, all sorts of graphic novels. But we also are very much interested in what the digital world is doing. So we're looking at apps, at online comics and things like that. So we have, through our programming, um, invited this year, actually, we've got three talks by people who are working within apps and Really talking about how you how differently you read narrative through uh, through the digital world. So we're doing quite a lot of that now because it's very much prominent in the way that people work and create illustration anyway. So it's a it's an interesting area for us. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That um, the the tools that that people use obviously have, have changed the way that they create as mm-hmm. well. So that's obviously um, you know a, it's a 
a bit of a transformation for for that art form. So mm -hmm. um, that's something that you're looking at. Obviously, yeah, definitely. Yeah. We're we're still very much interested in paper. So I'm not saying paper is is isn't isn't there, but it's it's. I think it's a bit of both because I think the reality of most of the the people we work with are, is that they work within all of those worlds effectively. So it's it's really for us to to unlock those for the public. And what's the appeal of this kind of art? What, why do people love because, it so much? Because people like stories. So and people like visual stories because visual stories can tell tell they're, they're kind of interesting. And I think, you know, the first ones that we ever encounter are visual stories through children's books. So I think it's still a very appealing um, way of telling a story because you can tell different narratives through the visual and through the textual. So I think it's a combination of the two that is still very much appealing to, to everyone, adults and, mm. and children alike. And what are some of the, the highlights for you for the, for the festival coming up? Well, this year's really exciting because we, we have got a, a month-long programme. It's exciting and terrifying at the same time, but um, it means we are able to explore lots of different things. We're doing a big exhibition that launches the, um, launches the uh, festival that opens next week at the Now Gallery in North Greenwich, but we also have a series of talks with the Hackney Libraries, which is really great, and a little workshops with um, with local schools, which I'm really excited about. But then, of course, we've got very, very exciting speakers coming from the States, such as Adrian Tomin, who's a, he's a very eminent um, uh, comics book artist, but also an incredible artist in his own right. And we've got Richard Maguire, who is has incredible work both online and as an artist and in galleries but also as, as a comic artist so we've got a great program and we've, of course we've got all our 120 odd stall holders who are going to be selling lots of really exciting new things and also first time this year we are gonna, we're going to do an award for our um, for our exhibitors which I, we're very excited about because it, it would mean that we can uh, support the production of a new publication which oh, wow. is great Exciting. And so it's going to be at the Round Chapel, which is an interesting venue, yes. um, a bit of a move from, from last year. Yeah. Um, why the Round Chapel? Well, we've got, you know, being in East London uh, Festival we, we, and growing, we have, we've moved every year because there's different, ven you know, every, every year we grow a little bit, every year we need a little bit of a different thing. And um, actually this year we felt we wanted to... To, to have a space that would be more l full of light. Last year we were in a space that was a little bit darker, so we wanted some th somewhere where people would want to spend three days and just hang out and read um, comics and, and children's books. And the Round Chapel is, is accompanied by um, the schoolrooms, which will have the workshops um, in there. And then we also have a third venue, which will have the, the talks. So it's partly because we're growing, but partly also because we... we you know, we like to move around a little bit. Fantastic. And so that is taking place the 10th till the 12th of June at the Round Chapel in East London. And details are at elcaf.co.uk. Ligaya, thank you so much for thank coming so in much. and telling us all about it. Thanks for it. having me. Thank you. So... Did you know that there was a nature reserve in the middle of Bethnal Green? The Phytology Garden opened its gates to the public last weekend for the first time this spring. And I went to the garden to find out more. 
So you don't have to fuss running around going, what's the dock leaf look like? It's not like dock leaf. You know, I've had people pulling out burdocks, I've had people pulling out hogweed, just because it looks different and it's near a nettle. Okay? So just yank out the same plant that stings you and go to town on it and you won't, you won't cause the nettle anymore. My name is Michael Smythe and I am one of the producers on the Phytology Project. It's a collaborative project between artists and botanists and herbalists and town planners. But most importantly, it's um, activating a piece of land in the heart of Bethnal Green that's been closed for a very long period of time and making a public space that people can come and harvest fresh medicinal herbs that are basically common weeds. So we're actually sitting in the phytology garden. It hasn't always been called that. Yeah, so the, the site we're on was originally called St. Jude's Park, I think, and then St. Jude is the pension centre of lost causes or no hope. The local community thought it was more positive if it was called the Bethnal Green Nature Reserve and, and working with the idea of semantics and the idea of nature and reserve locally making people perceive the place differently. So the place is still called Bethnal Green Nature Reserve but we're presenting um, the phytology project within the Bethnal Green Nature Reserve. So phytology is a, a project that's sort of existing in this footprint so what's the phytology project? Phytology is a sort of a long-term project looking at the role of medicinal weeds. What we've done is sort of decided upon a kind of a random number of 32 plants that have ongoing proven medicinal value and grown a meadow culture out of those. Um, things like dandelion or, or nettle or, I don't know, root plantain or, you know, things you see but you don't really quite know its value and what it's used for. So we've grown a meadow culture of these plants. It's open to the public to come and harvest and, and also learn about what each plant does. In addition to that, we've sort of developed a lot of writing and illustrations of each plant. So if you come to us and have the time, you can actually research what plants do what and we'll show you how to harvest and use. Kind of a tradition that's been lost to kind of know what plants are for. There does seem to be regenerated interest. Why, why do you think that is? Um, I think for me anyway, it's as we become more urbanised and as cities like London become, you know, they're very intense kind of hard surfaced environments. I think people are more and more interested in alternative ways of living in them. So green spaces are becoming more important allotments are becoming more important ways to generate and grow your own food and in our case medicine is also really important the idea for us is food as medicine as well so a lot of these plants have great nutritional value so i think this project is kind of part of that wider conversation i guess people are having at the moment in urban environments all around the world really and um, how did you get involved about 10 15 years ago i went on a, a a walk with a herbalist in a, in a city, a city I used to live in, and um, she narrated what all the plants that were invisible to me actually do, and, and ever since, it's really changed my perception of cities. Um, also, I don't come from a horticultural background, so I think combination of like developing the idea, finding the appropriate collaborators, and the piece of land, it, it does take time, but equally, that time taken has been a useful process to kind of understand what we're doing and working out if it works if it doesn't work how do we make it work what it communicates how it communicates and and also we've been here for a year before we opened just to kind of watch what happened on the site and nurture the meadow culture we're growing 
person needed to wait for things to grow. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it does its own thing. So we have to jump in occasionally and intervene and other times step back and go, oh, okay, you're doing that. Okay, good, which is interesting. Um, and now after a year of setting the project up here, we're open to the public and now there's a whole other kind of conversation as to, you know, how much harvesting is too much harvesting, what plants will need to be taken out because they're too dominant. So this is obviously the famous meadow that Phytology have, have been developing and this is really, really nice. There's so many lovely things coming on in here from the, the chamomiles to the comfries, there's poppies to, the, to explode in any day now. There'll be a blaze of colour in here. The Bethnal Green Nature Reserve has a massive fence around it and that makes the site invisible. So what you're getting is a lot of people who are just really quite blown away that this place exists, like this secret woodland and meadowland in the middle of like a, an area that it's completely unlikely to exist in. There are a lot of them are locals who are kind of coming in wanting to explore and look around through that kind of engagement we're talking to people about the project. Then there are other people that are coming specifically for this. And it's really conversations about, you know, their health and nutrition and people wanting to just garden but not in a way that is like the allotment culture or decorative you know they, a lot of people get the kind of wildness of this we're not claiming to be herbalists at all so you know we we provide a lot of information as well as the resources of the plants but it's really just been a lot about what people can do what are the limits and also people getting the confidence to kind of use these plants the meadow culture is quite unremarkable when you come in and see it like it's very beautiful because the chamomile and the poppies are flowering right now but um, it could just be any abandoned sort of piece of land which is very intentional lacking signage the shed and the library have all the information and the gardeners are on hand to do oral communication as opposed to sort of text heavy so just looking at multiple ways to kind of communicate and work with kind of storytelling I guess be it visual um, be it oral be it written so just to get the kind of practical information in, people who want to visit, how does it work? What do they need to do? So we're open only two days a week on a Friday and a Saturday from 10 till 5. We're right between Old Bethnal Green Road and Bethnal Green Road. The site technically doesn't exist. So we're, we're telling people a postcode of a, an apartment block on um, Middleton Street. That will take you to the reserve and really people are just welcome to come in and look around and you know find the gardeners and ask questions and um, use the library and also just spend time here it's a very easy space to spend time you know we're always on site and open to dialogue so you know people are welcome to really come up and, and ask questions and, and help us out too we always need to harvest something so if you just want to step outside of Bethnal Green Road madness and come into this incredible nature reserve and harvest chamomile for the afternoon you're most welcome to. Whatever question I've ever had, the most random questions, Ken's always like, yeah, I know the answer to that. <laughs> so he's an incredible resource, an incredible kind of, uh, support. So thank you again. Very well, my pleasure. Cheers. Thank you. Well, enjoy the rest of the day. Thank you. Um, so that was um, Michael Smythe from the Phytology Garden. And just for the horticulturalists out there, no, there aren't any poppies or chamomile at the moment. I recorded that a couple of <laughs> summers ago, just in case, you know, people tweet in about my... Yeah. I don't know. It, it, 
risky stuff. Um, so um, they, the, the Phytology uh, project combined culture in all its facets um, and have recently insta- installed a sound installation called Voiced and you can actually hear more about um, this project in an hour-long feature that I've been working on here on Resonance on the 26th of May's Clear Spot at 8pm. So Louise Welby is still with us Um, and as well as being the musical director for Knife Edge you run an event called Jam Sandwich. Yes, that's tell right. Us, tell us more. What's Jam Sandwich? So Jam Sandwich is a live music night which pops up around London. And I set it up in 2012, having been in a band and kind of played the circuit and got a sense that there was kind of something missing and that lots of venues and promoters and nights were kind of missing the mark and bands were turning up and just feeling a bit like they've been chucked on a random lineup alongside other acts that didn't compliment them at all and the promoter didn't show up and they forced their 40 friends to pay 15 pounds and then they got 10p for it and just feeling a bit (laughs) exasperated and I was like this isn't right so um I it was kind of inspired by that and from like a performer's point of view I wanted to create a space where people could feel really amazing about about a gig that they'd played so they could feel that the audience were really engaged that they were really heard and that they also got a chance to meet other artists and, um, yeah, just create something a little bit more connected and friendly and relaxed. So that's that's kind of where it all came from. So it's not quite an open mic night? No, so it's not. So basically I programme acts every month. It's about once a month. Um, but I do like to have this element of jam involved. So element of spontaneity is what I mean by jam or a live jam at the end of the night. So we had a show at the Troubadour in Earl's Court last month. And at the end of the night, we um, yeah, we had a live jam with some of the musicians that had played that night and some others that kind of just jumped up. So that was really fun. Um, so, yeah, I like to have an element of that. And, and at some of the shows in East London over the past couple of years there has been this element where people show up and they'll just jump up with a guitar or whatever it might be but it's not strictly an open mic night and if over the the how long have you been doing it for so since um the winter of 2012 how long is that like Wow, that's three and a half years. Three and a half years, okay. So for the past three and a half years, um, you've actually discovered quite a lot of new talent and people have gone on to do more bigger bigger things with their their talent. So can you tell us any any um, anything about the, the people that you've discovered and what they're doing now? I've put you on the spot a little no, bit. that's fine. Well, to be honest, there are so many people and it's such a privilege to... Um, meet people and host people at that stage in their in their career or, or where they're at with their kind of different ambitions. And the idea is that it's all really eclectic every time. And we get sort of like old timers as well as 16-year-olds who I found busking in London fields. I mean, I will name a few that you can look up. I'm actually thinking it'd be a good idea to put together like a jam sandwich playlist or something. I do feature people on, a, on the Instagram and on our website, but so people can kind of listen to a bunch of jam artists without having to be at the show because so far it's quite like offline in that sense but yeah some of the people to look out for who have played and gone on to great things and I'm really enjoying watching their journey um Anna Pancaldi who's recently released her second EP which did really well in the iTunes singer-songwriter charts Westerman is amazing Freddie Dixon great friend of mine 
two sisters who are incredible called Sissica, who are based in East London. Look out for them. Um, and most recently, this list could go on literally all night, so I'll stop. But most recently, Ray Wills, who is 18 years old and played at the last jam sandwich and literally blew everyone's socks off with his kind of Jeff Buckley-esque incredible soul. Amazing. And you sometimes perform too. Oh, yeah. So Uh, you've been developing with the night, I think. Yeah, no, I think that's fair to say. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have been known to jump up and do a kind of spontaneous something or other. Or if I've I've got a kind of music project going on at the time, it's, it's... I've definitely enjoyed using that as a friendly space to try things out. Um, yeah, no, no, you're right. It's been it's been great to have this this kind of anchor to the world of music and gigging, um, which has kept me feeling really inspired and motivated. And uh, more recently, I've been able to spend more time on writing and so on. So that's really exciting. So not just hosting, but able to be developing my own craft as well. Which I think we're going to hear a little bit of. Um, so this is a new collaboration. Yeah, this is brand new. So you're going to hear this. You're like the first people to hear this. Oh, very this exciting. Is a, this is a demo. Um, and it's a new collaboration. Yeah, I actually met him through Jam Sandwich. So that is a good link. Um, he is a musician and producer called Tom Hollis, um, multi-instrumentalist and very talented young man. Um, so, yeah, it's really great to be working with him. And, um, yeah, I hope you like the sound. So what are we going to hear? Tree houses, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Tree houses. Come home. 
That was Tree Houses by Louise Welby, and I've forgotten the name Tom of Tom Hollis. Tom Hollis. Thank you so much. It was not at all what I was expecting. Really? Yeah, because I think I just for some reason like I am, I think I've heard you do more jazzy stuff, so I've got that I had that in my head. So I was quite surprised, yeah, okay. but pleasantly. Well, yeah, very I mean, pleasant. This is what's so exciting about it is that we've, we're bringing so many different elements and influences in there. So it's always because it's brand new and fresh. It's really interesting to hear what people come back with, and we've got quite a few quite different tracks. So, so yeah, let's see see what you think about the rest. So, when's the next uh, jam sandwich? The next jam is Saturday, the twenty first of May at the Old Church in Stoke Newington. Beautiful, ancient space. It's going to be completely unplugged, um, which is going to be really special. And we've got some great artists, all really different, quite experimental. um, But, yeah, just very raw talent. It's going to be lovely. Oh, and we've got Dish Next Door, who are like a local startup trying to promote people... um, trading food with their neighbours kind of thing, so you can be a a chef in your own home. Um, They are providing some food, so come down, have some food, listen to some music, be great to meet you. Thank you. And it's time for us to say goodbye, so Eastcast will be back next month, same place on Resonance 104.4 FM, with more sounds and stories. Uh, But we'll leave you with a tiny extract from another track from Louise Welby um, and the track is called Shy Shy. Thank you so much for listening and good night Bodies do.